Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, our first summer, truly summer episode. So I don't know what sounds we could dub in that would be summer that I could mention that I would never actually put into the episode. But anyway, happy summer. And so we are going to have a slightly different summer episode map. And so I think we did this last summer or maybe from time to time, but we condense in the summer to accommodate for travel and vacations and things like that. So what we're going to do for our summer episodes is one of the thinklings will discuss a book and one other of the thinklings will have a devotional thought and the other thinkling introduces the episode. So you already know Charlie has just introduced the episode. And so with that in mind, we have some business to tend to. Book and business. Book and business. Tim, let's talk about a book. I was reading God, Marriage, and Family, Rebuilding the Biblical Foundation by Kostenberger and Jones. Uh, and it referenced an article. Hey, uh, I was just starting that book. With that one? Yeah, we're using it. Hold it up to the screen. Yeah. Uh, so there's Marriage and the Family, Biblical Essentials oh, by Kostenberger okay. and Jones. That's the abbreviated version. And our church okay. is going through that one for our that's Sunday school. Was, that's what I thought you were referring to. Then, then there's God, Marriage and Family by Kostenberger and Jones, which is like the beefier one. Okay. Um, now I'm not talking about either of those books, but those two books are are a couple of good books um, that I've heard really good things about. I've not read, I've re- I've looked at them, but Kostenberger and Jones, um, Kostenberger references an article on the family in the Old Testament world, and that's the one. And the reason I brought that all up is just because this is how research works. You're reading something, and then there's some footnotes, and you're like, oh, there's this other book. The book I want to talk about is Marriage and Family in the Biblical World by Ken Campbell. Ken Campbell is the editor. The specific article I want to talk about is Daniel Block's article, Marriage and Family in Ancient Israel. Daniel Block is a well-known Old Testament scholar. He has written some of the best commentaries on Ezekiel and I think it is like Exodus... No, Judges. He's done Judges Ruth. It was Stuart that did Exodus. So uh, New American Commentary on Judges and Ruth. Uh, So well-known Old Testament scholar, and he's written an article on the family, marriage and family in ancient Israel. So this is descriptive. What was marriage like? What was the family like in the ancient world? So I'm working on my article for the Bible Faculty Leadership Summit. I'll talk about that article in a future episode here for Summer Reads. I'm not going to get into that right now, but um, the ancient world valued the family big time. And anything that uh, threatened the family was something that the community was very concerned about. And so there were a lot of laws and stipulations connected to protecting the family. Block uh, had some very helpful things to say in this article, Marriage and Family in Ancient Israel. The article is huge. Like it's a book. 
So uh, it begins on page 33 and ends on page 103. So it's a 70-page article. Whoa, that's like a thesis. I know. It's like a book in itself. My thesis was 84 pages. That's huge. Right. Um, The whole book is only six, six articles. The final article is Marriage and Family in the New Testament by Kostenberger. So, wonder where that came from, right? This is the way research works as well. What did Kostenberger do? Well, he wrote an article on just uh, an, an academic article on marriage and family in the New Testament. And then he co wrote with David Jones, Marriage and the Family Biblical Essentials. Okay, so what did I like about this article? He talks about the Old Testament world being patricentric, and he doesn't like the word patriarchy. And I have, um, I mentioned this on a previous episode like a year ago, and I had a conversation with um, one of our listeners, Ben Hartwig, and uh, do we do we get rid of the word patri- patriarchy? Is it something that we need to just give up on? Um, I've started down that rabbit hole a little bit. I find it fascinating that feminist Old Testament scholars say that the Old Testament is not patriarchal. Uh, Say that again. Feminist Old Testament scholars say that the Old Testament world was not patriarchal. that's, That's amazing. Yeah, because the reason is the definition of patriarchy that's being read into the Old Testament. They're reading a modern definition of patriarchy, which is basically all about power and using that power to serve yourself. Mm-hmm. And as they read the Old Testament, they realize that that's not what's going on. In fact, some of them have argued that the Old Testament is matriarchal and that the woman is actually the one in charge. Really? And it's the. Yeah, the reason is be because they've missed we've we've really read our New Testament words and our New Testament culture back into the Old Testament. The Old Testament world was patriarchal, okay? The the man was the center of everything that was going on, but he wasn't or at least he wasn't supposed to use that power just to serve himself. He was supposed to use that power to serve others and to build up the home. So he should use his power to serve his wife. He should, he should, um, he should delegate uh, authority to his wife and or wives, okay, because they were often polygamous, uh, and and he was supposed to use his power to to um, guide and direct his children uh, to walk in the way of wisdom. And so uh, because of all of the mess of the terminology with patriarchy, um, uh, Bloch prefers the name patrocentric. Now, I'm not ready to give up on the word patriarchy. Uh, It just needs to be properly defined. And I'm still working through that aspect of it. But if you're wondering about the ancient world and what the family was like, this is an excellent article. There's there's very little that I disagree with him. Uh, the book is out of print. You're not going to be able to find it um, at the Faith Bookstore, but you can pick up a used copy for a semi-reasonable price. Uh, and so he, he kind of explains and goes through each person within the home. What were the husband's responsibilities towards his wife? And the, 
this gets into like marriage vows. And this is something that's connected to the article that I'm writing with the Bible Faculty Leadership Summit. I was just talking to my wife even about this. I mean, our marriage vows, you know, I, Timothy, take you, Angela, you know, I'm I'm going to be faithful to you and to you <laughs> alone, forsaking all others. Okay, this idea that there's an exclusive relationship between my wife and myself. Think about it. They were polygamous culture. Was a man saying that he's going to be exclusively faithful to just one woman? And the answer was no, <laughs> because he wasn't. So what was the biblical man in the ancient world committing to do? And it's connected to his provision and taking care of her and providing for her and then being security for her. All right. Do you understand like the biblical man in the ancient world? Um, and they, they lived in a polygamous society. I'm not saying that that was right, by the way. I'm just saying that's the way that it was. The Thank you for saying that, that though. They, <laughs> that was important to say that right now. Oath all right. The oath that they communicated to one another was the woman was going to be exclusive to her husband and the man was going to provide, protect, and take care of his wife. Mm. That was kind of the oath pattern that that they that they did. So the the rest um was um <clears throat> a big word where he was going to provide rest for his wife he was going to take care of her and he was going and he committed to to do that so then what was the father's responsibilities towards the sons what was the father's responsibility toward the daughter how did he relate to his children um how did he relate to his servants how did he relate to his slaves because it was a Old Testament world, and they had servants and slaves. Then they go, he works through the different um, responsibilities of the mother, the wife. And and uh, he talks about adultery, which is a big part of my paper that I'm working through right now. And so that was, that was helpful. Uh, was there any equality between them? Uh, he talks about polygamy and um, um, all of I guess I've already talked about that part of it, but then what about the children? Okay, so children were a major component of the Old Testament world, and we diminished that uh, significantly in our culture. We don't understand it, but the man lived on through his children. So, so that's why having a male heir was so important. And then investing in that male heir and carrying on one's inheritance to that male heir Error. that is an important part of understanding the world of the old testament and that also has a huge uh well application how about application that is a huge um implication for how we interpret a lot of old testament texts so i'll be revisiting that point in the uh in the future probably one of the most Significant things I read in this book is that he came, came very close to my understanding of Song 710, where the um, the wife states um, that her desire is, uh, or, or I am my lover's and his desire is over me. And, and he notes that that's a recreation of the Garden of Eden. So if you've been a regular listener, I've talked about that passage on multiple occasions. He translates that verse, I am my beloved's and his claim is on me. 
And he sees that desire having this connotation, this idea of the husband's uh, responsibility and authority. I mean, he's like the only person I've read that's come close to that that kind of an idea. So I would strongly recommend it. If you are wondering about marriage and the family in the Old Testament world, I'd say that's the best article that I've read on that topic. So it's a little long, 70 pages, but it's good. All right. Well, since it's a summer episode, we're going to dive into the scriptures now. And this is be our pattern this summer is we'll talk about a book where one of us is reading or studying, and then we'll dive into the scriptures. And so for me, I'd like to talk about Philippians 4 verse 10. And so just a little background on this one. I teach the high school guy Sunday school class along with two other co-teachers. That's right. We have three co-teachers. It's it's a pretty awesome Sunday school class. We've got Stephen Ray with us, and we've got Tyler Hausner. Tyler Hausner is head of food services here at Faith. Uh, he's a great guy. <clears throat> he taught this week, and so I was just listening. And he his section to cover was Philippians chapter four, verses ten through twenty or ten through thirteen. I can't remember. Now, I'm pretty familiar with this passage. This is the passage on contentment. So I'm going to read the whole thing. I rejoice in the Lord greatly now that at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all through him or Christ strengthens me <clears throat> sorry all the coughing today i'm a little bit uh congested so when this passage when i taught it last year when i studied it the real meat of the contentment teaching is 10 11 12 and then context is given in 14 and, and following and then context is kind of given in 10 but i had not really thought much about 10 other than he's giving the background, he had a need. The Philippians were concerned at one time, and then at one time later, their concern wasn't as concerning. And then now they have revived concern. And the context of the letter is that in that revived concern, <clears throat> they sent Paul help and they sent him Epaphroditus. So anyways, this was masterful on Tyler's part. He went up to the whiteboard and he just asked the high school students to say, to observe, he said, what do you see? And so they started making observations. And uh, so he starts off by saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. So he says, what, do you, what is he rejoicing in the Lord for? And they said, they said, now that at length you have revived your concern for me. So I don't know how to make this one as interactive, guys. But if something is revived, why don't you tell me what that looks like? Like, what's revive mean? What do you think of when you think of revive? Something's dead and it came back to life. Like there okay. wasn't something and now it is. Okay. Something's dead and comes back to life. There wasn't something and now there is. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, refreshing, you know, could be an idea okay. too, but <clears throat> I like, I think I like the idea, an illustration that pops into my mind is like, 
there's there's two types of plants. There's a plant that you plant and it dies and it yeah. it dies. And then there's plants that you plant and they come back every year. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know which one is a perennial and which one is an annual, but uh, one of them is, you know, it comes back and blooms and blossoms again sure. every year. <clears throat> so Charlie, why did, you, why did you think of that? Because, I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I just didn't know if there's a reason. It is. It's, I, it's kind of springtime here in Iowa. Okay. Well, you know, I wasn't you, sure. This, this is the time. I'm looking out my window and I'm seeing the, I have cornfields directly to the north of me. Oh, yeah. And so there's the corn is, I can just see the little, little tiny guys. You know, the, the phrase is they'll be knee high by the 4th of July, but, uh, I don't know okay. about that, Perfect. but anyway, so that's kind of what <clears throat> I've got a beautiful picture in front of me of, uh, Hobbiton and the Shire. And so it's like, that. Oh, it's like all the flowers beautiful. and the, yeah. So okay. that, that's, yeah. Coming back to that's life, fine. the idea with plants is good. I think. Okay. <clears throat> Tim, I, I, when I thought of this, when I saw revived, I thought what you thought. I didn't really think of plants that revive. I just thought like it's dead. Now here's the thing. When Paul tells the Philippians, I'm really thankful that you've revived your concern for me. What would that communicate to the Philippians about their concern before this moment or the time before this? It was dead. Yeah. Now, the Philippians and Paul have a pretty close relationship. Do you think the Philippians at any point would say they were unconcerned about Paul in prison? Probably would not. Concerned. Okay, so Charlie said no. Tim, what'd you say? I, th- I mean, they would have been concerned. But Paul just said you revived, which means <clears throat> it was dead and now it's and now it's alive again. So here's the thing. I, I didn't know where Tyler was going with this. This is brilliant. So the rest of the verse says, he says, he says, I rejoiced greatly now at length that you have revived your concern for me. And then look at the next sentence. You indeed were concerned, but you had no opportunity. Why does he add that second statement? To, it seems like Paul is clarifying what he just said so they don't get the wrong meaning. So I thought, oh, it sounds like Paul is, at first, it sounds like he's saying, you guys were concerned, and then you weren't, and now you are again. But you read that second sentence, he's like, no, you were concerned for me. You just didn't have opportunity. And so he clarifies his first sentence. That's all I wanted to point out. And that's what Tyler pointed out. And I thought, this is is interesting. Now, before I go any further, so it's Sunday school and he's talking to these high school guys. Well, I got to look up revive. And it's like, obviously Anastasia, right? It's going to be you revived, but um, look that word up and it's not, it's not Anastasia, the normal word for resurrection. It's the word Anathalo. And let me read the definition. And that's why Charlie, I was wondering, have you read this yet? To be in a state identical with the previous state. So you were in a state and now you're in that same state again. That's what it means to be revived in this word. And then the ways BDAG tells us, that's that dictionary we use, to translate it are to grow up again or to bloom again. Ooh. It's like a farming word. And that's why I was like, Charlie, have you read this? Have you studied this passage? But you were dead on, man. Now, if you so, read this another... <clears throat> go ahead, Charlie. Well, there, I, I think that this is the genius of Doug Brown coming to full circle 
uh, to, what should I say to full bloom because Ooh, that's uh, good. I think it was he who made us go through because I have read that before it would have been years ago but where we had to go through and we had to look up every bead egg citation of Philippians oh seriously so it was probably buried in your mind somewhere yeah and it's interesting what what does Anna mean? Is Anna the again part of it? Again, yeah, it's again around Anna on because that, that gets you. So the definition right before that in Bdag is the word rekindle that Paul uses of Timothy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the pastoral epistle. Yeah, and so I guess I hadn't realized that that word Anna gets used. Obviously, Anastasia. Um, mm-hmm. St- yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it the- was uh, Charlie's. I think it was Charlie's picture that he was looking at. He just was looking at the <laughs> hobbits and the flowers on the field and everything. And that just impacted <laughs> well, I was him. That, I was actually going to say. There's a big pumpkin. I was going Ooh, to say. Yum. Guys, we're going to go to the hobbit. We're going to go to the Shire now and get agricultural. But you had already said it. So so, he, <laughs> so one of you two with Beautiful. a better Bible study program than mine, would you look up the New King James and then maybe like the CSB yeah, or I've something? Yeah, I got it here. Because the New King James, I like so the way I it had translates the, it better. Tim, go for it. I had Read. the New King James up, and so you were going through this whole revived thing, and I was like, eh. and I had to switch to the ESV. So the New King James has, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Beautiful. See, what do you say about a meadow that's in full bloom? It's flourishing. So you cannot be flourishing and still be alive, but when you flourish, it's like you're the best version of alive. Charlie, do you have the CSB up? I don't have CSB. That's fine. Or give me any other translation. I just want to show that I think here I don't like the ESV as much. I don't think it's like a massive problem. So because Paul net, clarifies himself. The net Ooh, Bible yeah, the net. doesn't really do it. I have great joy in the Lord <laughs> because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. So they yeah. even they mm-hmm. like further remove it from that. Uh, well, the that, idea of the word. That's actually pretty good because it goes in line with Paul's clarification in the second half of the verse. He says, you were concerned. You just didn't have opportunity, like as in like a way to show that concern. So I actually kind of like that. I, think, or, I still think that's better than revive. We could read the Schlachter from 1951. No. Ich bin <laughs> All right, Tim, go ahead. <laughs> so I don't like the net because they're interpreting the metaphor. It's supposed to be a metaphor. And they are destroying the metaphor and just interpreting it, whatever. So the CSB has, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. So I think that's what I would say, though, is I think those are all three closer than the ESV. Does that make sense? Sure. Now, that's not actually why I want to bring this up. That's not. This is not a translation episode or devotional, but here's what I would say. So as Tyler's going through here, he says, notice what Paul did. Paul is writing. He's using words. Words are important. Words communicate. And when he writes the words, he thinks, how will my person I'm writing to understand that? Will they understand it correctly? Did I speak? Oh, you know what? And then he clarifies. So what was really interesting, and I've glossed over this every single time because I'm reading the contentment stuff. I didn't notice this. I I think, and I, I think Tyler's right, and he's getting this from another source he was studying. 
I think this is a good example of being careful with your words. And it was super, mm -hmm. super convicting for me because I tend to speak quickly without thinking. That's my personality. I'm, I'm the, I'm the proverb where words are many sin is not absent. And, um, I have friends who are quieter and they're the, like Abraham Lincoln proverb of, you know, keep your mouth, keep your mouth shut and you won't seem like a fool, even if you are kind of a thing. Um, but as he said this, I thought, I've never heard this. Is this is this true? Does this fit the scriptures? Is this really something I could apply to uh, careful communication? And I do think so. <clears throat> so let's flip over to if, or Proverbs 12, verse 18. Proverbs 12, verse 18. So we'll go Old Testament first for Tim. Um, it says, there is one whose rash words. What's a rash word, first of all? If, if something's rash, quick. what would we say? Quick. Okay. Quick. Sometimes rash is, um, I had a friend and I were, <laughs> we, we were in Sunday school and our youth pastor was walking through the, the story where Jesus goes up to the fig tree and there's no figs on it and he curses it. Then I'll never have figs again. And my buddy Jared's like, that was kind of rash. <laughs> now, I, none of us understood that it was a, a, a picture of Israel in there, you know, their state <clears throat> but rash is like um too much or too quickly or not cautious or not gentle and so here it says there is one whose rash words are like sword sword thrusts but the tongue of the wise brings healing now here's the thing have you ever no no personal testimonies have you ever spoken um without giving enough care to your speech and then as the words come out of your mouth you realize what you've said or maybe you didn't and then later it comes to your attention and now you've got to decide what do i do um how do i fix this and it's very easy to get defensive in those moments well i don't know but it is interesting here that the proverbs warns us against speaking rashly um, and then the second verse that I thought came up was Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so it, it, even Ephesians tells us to be careful that when we speak the way we speak, it's building others up and it's giving grace to those other people. <clears throat> so boy, this was... This was a good reminder for me because I tend to speak quickly and I tend to assume that the other person is going to try to figure out what I mean and they're just going to know what I say. Um, but man, that's not how life goes. And the final reason I, as I was thinking about, is this really what this section is saying? Like, can I really apply this? Um, is God is a God of truth. Like he values truth. And so I've even thought about this in just like marriage comments where I'm just talking to my wife carelessly, you know, you come home and you're with your friends and your family and the people you're closest to, and you just kind of speak, you know, sometimes <clears throat> I would even say amongst the thinklings off air, we, sometimes we just speak quickly to one another because we're so familiar with each other. Uh, but I think this helped me to think Paul, he was, he was careful with his words. Maybe that's an application that I should consider. So it was nourishing for my soul. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, so the uh, 
the the next couple of verses in Proverbs all continue to talk about the the tongue, which I think is interesting. And I guess uh, Proverbs aren't necessarily always like sequential, but as you look at the next verse, so we looked at Proverbs uh, 12, 18, and then the very next verse, the truthful lips. So he keeps going in verse 19 with the the mouth. And uh, you jump down, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Um, and then, uh, Tim, I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, Proverbs 12, 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. Um, but it seems to like there, there's a theme there. Um, certainly speech is a part of it, but then the the planning of a man, what he's willing to speak or declare versus what he's willing to withhold is, is a sign of wisdom. And so I don't know, Tim, if you have any insight on that. We, we, we typically like to exalt the idea of like preaching the truth, you know, but then, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what exactly is that proverb uh, highlighting there? Um, a prudent man conceals knowledge. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole idea of prudent is, it's like it's really the word is actually related to naked. It's like he's re, he's he's just exposing the different options so that he can see the different ways in which one should go. So mm. oh, prudence is like, oh, you see danger up ahead, so you pick a different way because you have laid bare, <clears throat> you've made everything naked, and you can uh, evaluate things. So the prudent man conceals knowledge. I'm not sure why the prudent man would be concealing why the prudent man would be concealing covering up knowledge there. Interesting. Um, so, so here's here's my like deep take that is probably not correct, but if it is, I would love it to be correct. Mm. So uh Treebeard in the Lord of the Rings, he talks oh ab- he he often is like, don't be hasty, you know. He's like, be careful, they speak very long. They're, they, you know, it takes them a long time to communicate, which is, you know, maybe just a, a picture of what Andy has presented to us is to be careful with our words, which Treebeard was certainly careful with his words. But that he was the word for prudent there is arum. And isn't that like one of the little bumbling phrases that Treebeard says all the time, like barum, you know? And <laughs> that's, like, that's a deep take. All right, Charlie. Well, and, and what is. <laughs> What is what You're is Tolkien? Hebrew. But yeah, t- Tolkien is a philologist. Like he would have known the languages. And so, like, I mean, when he says barum, it's like imprudence. Like it's another or way of saying this. It's another way of saying don't be hasty. <laughs> <laughs> like that that literally would mean the exact same thing in Hebrew. Like barum would be to to be imprudence, you know. That obviously is like there's like a 0.0001% chance that's what Tolkien was doing but it kind of made me think of treebeard and like you know don't be hasty little hobbits you know like um sounds like orc mischief but anyway hmm. um yeah the prudent man that whole idea of concealing knowledge it's in contrast to the heart of fools proclaiming folly so like the prudent man he's probably like thinking through stuff and keeping his mouth shut so it probably connects to Andy's idea here about, you know, what being careful with your words. Well, what does the foolish person do? 
He's just just blabbering his mouth all the time and proclaiming the folly. He's he's far too hasty. It's funny, my grandma, she's passed away a long time ago. She would drive uh, down the street with me and my brother, and she'd be passed just right and left by cars because she drove like two miles under the speed limit. And, you know, tans 10 and 2. And she's always said, she's like, I am a cautious and prudent driver. Cautious and prudent driver. And I would say she was overly cautious in her little like 1980s station wagon kind of thing. (laughs) But prudence, I think today, even if you say prudence, it would be someone who's careful. It would be someone who's weighing out options and thinking about it. So I I would definitely say caution and prudence don't sound like rash sword swings, uh, (laughs) you know, in a battle. So. Yeah, it it does mean like to be cunning or clever. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think thinking through, uh, I mean, the wise person understands the right time to say something maybe. And I think for me, I was trying to think, is there sin? Because sometimes you can speak and unintentionally say something wrong. Does that make sense? Like, I don't, Mm -hmm. you can say something not like you're angry and you're like, you're a total jerk. And you're like, well, I didn't mean that. That's not what I mean. Like, um, my kids are good at this right now. They'll say, dad, can you help me? I'll say, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. And they're like, one, two, three. And I'm like, no, no, no. And it's the funniest <laughs> thing. They're just messing. So finally I had to say, you're not allowed to count anymore. Like I told Evan, he's not allowed to count anymore. But if I'm like, yeah, I'll be there in a second. They're like one, but, but it does illustrate. Now they're being silly because dad's silly. But there is an illustration there that they only know what I say and kids easily get things literally mixed up. And so whose job is it to understand who I'm communicating with and how they would receive my words? It's my job. So for me, I think for me personally, the times I've gotten myself into trouble where this verse helps me to think about clarifying my words, I'm probably internally lazy me i'm talking about me i'm not saying everybody yet. i'm not saying me and it's just a lot harder to stop and to think about things and be careful like think about editing anything you write you just want it to be done you don't want to edit oh charlie sorry i'm in your world right now i just realized but like editing is the hard part that's the work to communicate well and editing my own comments as I speak in my mind ahead of time, that takes a lot of effort. It's just easier just to blather out my words and then defend myself. So anyways, I just thought this was a helpful thought from the Bible. And <clears throat> I do think it lined up with other passages. I don't think it was probably the main application Paul wanted us to take away. But I do think it's him as an example who we should follow because he's following Christ. Here he is. He's like, how is my audience understanding this? Ooh, I need to be careful possibly. And I'll say this, and I don't think that that's out of line. And so listeners, it might be hard at times to speak clearly. It might be hard uh, to consider how the other person will take your words. And while we can't totally live in the tyranny of other people's interpretation, especially with those you're closest to and your friends with and your family with, um, sometimes it's easy to just throw caution to the wind and be lazy and say whatever we want. Um, But I do think God's a God of truth and God's careful to communicate to us clearly. And so maybe this week, uh, don't be as hasty. Don't be as rash. Try to think a little bit more and um, 
just just maybe test the stuff and be a Berean and see if this is something that might be something that you need to apply to your life. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings podcast. The Thinklings want to remind our listeners that the Thinklings podcast is our personal production. Our conversations, book discussions, and viewpoints may not represent the views of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Any questions or feedback should be directed to us at the Thinklings podcast.